I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 106. We're going to read a selection of verses here. Why? Because it sums up a large portion of God's story. The story of His dealing and His relationship, His covenant to Israel. And we'll be looking at that today in our time of study. So let's look to Psalm 106 to give us more of an overview. We'll read verse 1. Uh, 6 through 15, and then verse 21. Hear these words because they are God's words. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Both we and our fathers have sinned, we've committed iniquity. We've done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Yet, he saved them for his namesake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as, though, as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked but sent a wasting disease among them. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. We do not live by bread alone. Let us give thanks for his word and let us continue to learn to trust him together. We are doing something that is slightly different. If you've been here the last few weeks, then you already know it. If you haven't, I just love to give people a little bit of a sense of what we're doing. How many have ever read a series of books? Like, like The Lord of the Rings. There's a story, isn't there? And you, you've got to get all the way through the story to tell the whole thing, to be introduced to the characters. We are about halfway through this series. And what we're doing is we are taking a look at the story of God from the very beginning. We began in Genesis. We're this week on our fourth week. And we are following the trail to see what's the major story of the Bible. In ten weeks, we will have uncovered the entire story of the Bible. Not every piece, but we will get to the major theme. So if you're a musician, we're discovering the melody. That's what we're doing through. Okay, so we're doing this in a different way. So let me just give you a, a little bit of information. First of all, again, my name is Mark. I'm one of the elders here at Wyndham Baptist, and it's a privilege to get to, to be in that role. This is my, my friend, good friend, Josh. And uh, again, I'm so privileged to, to share with him together today in leading this dialogue. And this is what this is. This is a dialogue. We're going to take some time to read that major story, but we really believe that God works in his people 
And we're going to ask questions and allow you to be part of the conversation, part of the dialogue. And we really believe that one of the things that's going to result in that is that you're going to be a blessing to others and others will be a blessing to you. And we are all going to grow today as we do this. So this is not your traditional sermon for these 10 weeks. It will not be a traditional sermon as we go through. But I think we're finding that this is very impactive and very meaningful for our, for our lives. A few other things that you need to know. Um, we want everyone to be involved, so there's going to be some times where we will look at you and pick on, and, and not, we're not going to call anybody out to have to answer, okay? But we are hoping that all of you will be involved in this. We hope that you believe that God's Spirit works in you and that there's a reason that you've got that question. There's a reason that you've got that answer. We want to encourage you to be part with that. There's also some times where we will not look at you because we want other people to be involved. And, and that may just be part of, of how we kind of spread things out. Is that okay? Uh, try and get as many people involved in this. Here's the hardest. This is the most challenging. We're trying to answer the questions in the story from the story. And we really believe that all the answers that we need to give are in the story. I know that some of you are going to suddenly go, oh, but Paul says in Romans, and, and, and we're going to ask you to resist that. We're, we're, we're only this far into the story so far. So it, when, when we say something like that, our kind response will be, Paul who? I haven't heard of him yet. Uh, so we, we, we want to just encourage you, try our best to try and answer the questions of the story in the middle of the story. Uh, so we're going to jump in here then. Let's just review what we saw last week. If you weren't able to be here last week, we can kind of remind you of this. But first of all, last week we saw this. We saw that God chose a people to be in a special relationship with him. I think there's a slide too, Matt, that can summarize this. Uh, to trust him and not in their own ways. This was an act of grace. They did nothing to earn it or to deserve it. And he chooses to work through messy, sinful people, which is really his only choice given the state of humanity. The second thing that we saw last week that was very important is we learned that God made a covenant with Abraham to give him innumerable descendants and that his family would be blessed by God. Why? So that they would be a blessing to the rest of the world showing the rest of the world what God is like. So those were the two key things that we got to see last week. I'd love to ask this question, but we're not going to take time, but you can let it bounce around a little bit in your head. What really struck you from our time together last week? I hope that maybe during lunch today you'll talk about that after, after this story. If you need to kind of, if we've got quite a bit of story to talk through today. So if you're better closing your eyes, and just kind of listening in, you do that. Okay? If you're better drawing a picture of it while we talk through the story, there's a lot of stuff to draw. Okay? Uh, but, but we want you to kind of engage with us as we go through the story. Let me, let me pick up then with this first scene that we're going to cover today. Years later, Abraham's son Isaac had his own son named Jacob. Now, his name was later changed to Israel, meaning struggler with God. The Hebrews would then be called the people of Israel after Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of his sons, named Joseph, ended up living in Egypt. Now, Joseph's story is an amazing one, but we don't have time to cover it today. 
So that'll be for another time. Joseph, though, invited his family to join him to escape the horrible famine that covered all the land. While living in Egypt, the people of Israel grew into a large nation. After Joseph died, the king of Egypt, named Pharaoh, feared Israel because of their great numbers. He treated them horribly, and he made Israel his slaves. Their slavery lasted 400 years. But God, he promised that he would bless his people. So this is scene one, deliverance and the instructions. God inspired a man named Moses to rescue the Israelites from slavery. He sent Moses to warn Pharaoh that a terrible things would happen to the Egyptians if they didn't release God's people. Pharaoh was arrogant, and he didn't listen. So God sent a series of horrible plagues to punish the Egyptians. But these plagues did not affect the Israelites. God turned water to blood. He filled the nation with frogs and gnats and flies. He killed livestock, covered people in boils, destroyed the land with hail and locusts, and brought great darkness over the land. In spite of these horrific events, Pharaoh would not let the Israelites go. So God sent one more plague. A plague that would take the life of every firstborn person and animal in Egypt. But God provided a way for the firstborn of Israel to be spared. He instructed them to take a firstborn male lamb without defect and to sacrifice it to him without breaking any of its bones. Then they were to take the blood from the lamb and put it on the doorposts of their homes. So the people of Israel did what God told them to do. At midnight, God sent the angel of death through Egypt, taking the life of all the firstborn, but passing over the homes that had blood on the doorposts. The Egyptians wept over this tragedy and they begged the Israelites to leave, releasing them from their slavery. And now, Israel, a large nation of over two million people, set out to return to the land that God had promised them. But Pharaoh wanted revenge. He sent his armies after Israel to catch them and kill them. When the Israelites approached the Red Sea, they thought they were trapped by the waters and that they would be caught by the Egyptians. But God split the waters so that the Israelites could cross the river on dry ground. When Pharaoh's armies tried to cross behind them, God brought a huge wind that blew the waters back over them. The Egyptian army was completely wiped out. Two months after leaving Egypt, <clears throat> the Israelites set up camp at the bottom of Mount Sinai. God descended onto the mountain in fire, and a thick cloud of smoke covered the mountain. God called Moses into his presence on the top of the mountain. There God spoke to him, saying, Tell my people this. You saw how I carried you on eagles' wings and rescued you from Egypt. Now, if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured people, a kingdom of priests set apart to represent me. 
When Moses came down the mountain, he told the people what God said. They all agreed, we will do everything that God asked us to do. No, really, we will follow all the commands. After that, God gave Moses instructions on how the people could return to following his ways and live in freedom. A life lived close to God and under his protection. We call these instructions the Ten Commandments, which were God's basic rules for life. I am your God who rescued you from slavery in Egypt. Put me above everything else. Do not worship other things. Do not misuse or disrespect my name. Remember to set aside a day each week to rest and worship me. Honor your parents. Don't murder or steal or lie. Do not sleep with anyone but your husband or your wife. Be faithful. Don't lust after what others have. Be satisfied with what I give you. God gave Moses more instructions called laws to give to Israel. These laws gave specific details about things like how to treat your neighbors and enemies, how to handle conflicts, what is fair punishment, when to work and when to rest, when to celebrate and worship, and what offerings are acceptable to God. But the people did not want to live within God's boundaries and rebelled again, calling these instructions a new kind of slavery. Even those who tried to obey these rules found they could not keep them perfectly. Because God always does what is good, right, and perfect, he could not overlook their sins, and the ultimate punishment for sin was death. A life must be given to pay for each person's disobedience. But God loved his people, so he provided a way for them to substitute the life of an innocent animal in place of their own. People would bring pure animals to God and ask them to transfer their sins to the helpless animal. The animal was killed and its blood was given in place of the guilty person. This system of sacrifice continued for hundreds of years. Sacrifices, sacrifices for sins had to be given day after day, year after year. And God accepted this, but only as a symbol of what was what to come. He was preparing a final sacrifice that would pay for the world's sins once and for all. How could the Israelites avoid the death of their firstborn? So this is where you talk. This one's a softball one. Well, the question is, how could the Israelites avoid the death of their firstborn? And, uh, and what other places in the stories that we've heard have we seen that the life and blood of an innocent lamb, uh, innocent animal, rather, was given for the sake of covering another person's sin? Josiah? Jesus who? No. <laughs> it's right, though. Becky? Yeah, God killed an animal to make clothes for Adam and Eve, right? So why are the sacrifices and the blood important? What what is the seriousness of it? Like how serious is our sin? Yeah. Yeah. Why is the why is the blood important? 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, we say God's life is in the blood. Uh, God said life is in the blood, rather. So that's the importance of the blood for that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, some blood has to be shed. The life has to be given for the, uh, that's the punishment. So we can clearly say that really the payment for sin is life. And life for life. Um, so, so God's holiness just requires that sin and rebellion be dealt with. Isn't that right? And that's kind of what you're saying is someone's got to pay. Someone has to pay for this. It creates a, a, a challenge. So here's another question. It kind of transitions to the next section. What's a covenant? We gave a definition for covenant last week. People are nervous today. It's a promise. And, and is it uh, just a little promise? A big promise. Now, I know a promise should just be a promise, but a covenant is the deepest promise that you can make between two people, right? Yes, you have to keep that promise, right? Now, there's a covenant in the story that God was talking about. Who was that covenant given to originally? This is, this is factual, so you can kind of, for those of you guys who are fact and detail type people, who was, who was the covenant that we were talking about originally given to? Emery. Yes, it was originally given to Abraham. Who else was it given to? What, or, or what was the outflow? What was, there were three levels to that covenant. Do you remember what those three things were that God promised? Let's try and put that back together again and remind some people. Let's see. Anne, Anne's ready to go. Anyone else? No? Well, it's good. It's good. She's ready to go. I'm just going to give someone else a chance if somebody else wants a shot to jump into this. There were three key provisions in the covenant that God gave to Abraham. What were the three things that he said he would do? Let's go to back to Mike Jones, and then I'll come up to Tim. God said, I will make you a great nation, which really stood in contrast because how many kids did Abram and Sarai have? Zero at that point. Okay, so I'll make you a great nation. Tim, what was another? I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will protect you. God promised that he would protect you. What was the third one? Do you remember the third one? Important part of the covenant. It had to do with blessing. And do you remember it? Yeah, he said bless the earth. All the nations in the earth would actually be blessed through this family. Okay, so those are the three parts to the covenant. Let me ask you this question, though. Do you think that God would remove his covenant if they didn't obey him. Do you think that God would remove that covenant, that promise that he made, if his people didn't obey him? And then I'm going to, of course, ask you, why not? So, so I need just not just a no or a yes, but a, a why not. Who else wants to jump in on, on this one? Anybody else? I see Mike Jones back there. Jameson. Okay, 
So this promise, this covenant wasn't made based on their ability. They didn't earn this kind of covenant. Uh, so great, great point that this was grace given so it wouldn't be taken away by, by, by that. But were there any factors, though, that uh, would be impacted by their, their sense of obedience? Because what do we kind of see in the story today? God's made a covenant with them. God delivers them. But we're going to start to see a theme that runs through, the, through these stories. And hopefully you're already kind of hearing it as we go through. There are times where God says, what, what happened? Do you remember in the story? Joe. Okay, yeah. And do you think that feels like blessing? Do you think that feels like covenant? I mean, when that happens in our lives, do we, do we feel that way? We feel like maybe God has let us down for a moment, but that, that's not necessarily the truth. So, um, so we just want to kind of see this sense then of, of covenant. Okay. So what do you think God meant by saying, you will be a kingdom of priests? Martha. What does a priest do? Josiah. Yeah, they make a way for people to go to come to God, right? And this would be a kingdom of priests. Not just one priest, but priests, multiple. So this would be, they would be representatives. And they would bring people to God through the sacrifices. What is the purpose of the commandments and the laws that God gave them? Yeah. Why was it important? Why? These guys are free now. Why did God have to give them the? Why did God give them the laws also? Um, why did Why did people need these laws? Yeah. Yeah, like they said, it feels like a new form of slavery, but it's a it's a way God's protecting them and helping them and guiding them to live in the best way for them. Which of these commandments do you think is the hardest to keep? You go through the commandments. Um, put me above everything else. Do not worship other things. Don't misuse or disrespect my name. Uh, remember to set aside each day to rest and worship. Honor your parents. Don't murder, steal, or lie. Be faithful to your spouse. Don't lust after what others have. Be satisfied with what I give you. 
What do you think the some of the hard? What do you think the hardest one is, Joel? Definitely. So really, you can sum up all of the commandments, really flow back to that very first one. They're all an outgrowth. And the two key areas that they really deal with is what does it look like to love God and what does it look like to love people? And, and it's supposed to give them kind of that, that freedom. So we see what the commandments, they kind of say about us. What are the commandments, uh, what does God's commandments and laws show us about him? Tim. Elisa. Yeah. What does what the commandments and laws show about how God looks at us, how he feels about us? Because you can be jealous in the insecure way, right? And, and give people rules and laws and, and watch over them in an insecure kind of way because it says, boy, I've got to make sure I prop up my, my stuff. Is, is that the type of jealous that you're talking about, Lisa? What is God jealous of? What does God want, like Josh asked, when it comes to his relationship with us? Yeah.
Yeah, uh, God isn't giving us these laws just because he wants good behavior. You know, he wants us to modify our behavior to get us to follow him. Rather, he wants us to live in a close and grace-filled relationship with him. And that kind of ties into uh, the next question. What is the result of following in God's ways? What are some... Oh, Amy. Yeah, we are. We're much closer to him. Why is it a? I don't know. Why is it to become a closer relationship with him? What does that mean exactly? And. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's our sin that gets in the way of us being in that close relationship with God. Following his ways is a way to to live righteously. Tim Yeah, it doesn't affect God's feelings towards us. It's, it's not us that creates God's love for us. The commandments <clears throat> are ways that Israelites live out their priesthood identity. Um, we think of sacrifices and worship, but the story goes right from being a priest, a nation of priests, to this is how what that looks like to walk in God's ways. So the best way Being a priest, a kingdom of priests, is not just showing up to a, you know, to the tabernacle and offering, you know, services and dressing up in special clothing. Because some of the first things that we think about a priest is that. So somebody build on what Josh said. If that's not what God intends for them to be a kingdom of priests, what does it look like? And and Josh kind of has you on the trail already. So what does it look like to be a kingdom of priests? What would their role be if you measure it off these ten? Ten Commandments. Peter. Right. So, and 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 when they're that example to the rest of the world, we're, that's where we draw. And even the other nations are going to be looking. Their neighbors are going to be looking and saying, "Wow, that's that's how you draw near to God." What, what else does it look like? Again, just building off the Ten Commandments as you, as you know those. What are some of the other roles of a priest? Because sometimes, we, again, we think of a job. We're not thinking job when we're, when we're a kingdom of priests. Can you think of any other examples? Martha.
That's amazing, isn't it? To, like, like Martha said, as, we, as, as that priest draws their relationship from that vertical, that relationship with God, it overflows, though, into other people's lives. And that's how we love, and that's how they experience the love of God, is even through the way that we speak to each other, the way that we care for each other. Um, I think I saw Felix. Oh, yeah, Felix. That's who. Okay. Hmm. So the overflow, the love that he's experienced makes him say, Father, would you please let other people experience the same thing? So that intercession, that prayer, that that role of of longing for that for others. There's some great topics in here. Time. Time is so hard. Uh, We got to keep moving on. Okay, Uh, keep thinking about this. Keep talking about this because because there are some other really great things that we need to get through. But uh, if we're going to try and get out of here anywhere close on time. We need to move on to the second scene. Look for shared concepts, okay, as we go through this. We're literally covering about uh, 1,500 to 2,000 years of history in one shot today. It's a big section. It's just, you know, it, it's a lot of time, okay? So uh, we're, we're going to build on this. So the kings and the prophets is the next scene. After wandering the desert for 40 years, God led the people of Israel to recapture the promised land from their enemies. God gave them many victories in battle, and He completely honored His promise to them. But the people rejected Him, and they worshipped false gods. This false worship led them into many other sins. Because of their sin and their disobedience, God removed his protection and he allowed them to be overpowered and punished by foreign nations. When the people suffered, they would come back to God and beg for his help and his forgiveness. God once again forgave them and sent leaders called judges to lead them in defeating their enemies. Now, these judges were not the kind of judges that we have today. Think of them more like generals. Battle after battle, Israel conquered their enemies at every border. In victory, the people would worship God, but soon after that, the people turned away from God again and lived their own way. Unfortunately, this became a pattern from generation to to generation, the people of Israel would come to God and worship Him when they needed help. But when things were going well, they returned to worshiping other things. This was a time where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Since kings ruled other nations, the people of Israel complained to God, saying, We want a human king that we can see the rule over us. God gave the people what they wanted and allowed them to be ruled by a succession of human kings that ultimately rebelled against God and his authority. Because of their rebellion, God removed his protection from Israel and allowed other nations to come in and conquer them. The Israelites were forced out of the promised land, and many were taken away to be slaves once again. During the time of these kings, God sent prophets to be messengers to be his messengers. 
God spoke through the prophets, calling people to return to his ways and follow his commandments. The prophets warned Israel what would happen if they continued to rebel against God. Prophets also foretold of a new covenant God would make with his people. They pointed people to a coming Messiah, an eternal king who would fulfill this covenant, save them, and rule forever. God gave the prophets visions of what the Messiah would, would be like when he came. Prophets like Isaiah foretold, a virgin would give birth to him in Bethlehem. He would be from the line of King David, their greatest king, who was a descendant of Abraham. He could do no wrong, living a life without sin. He would be beaten, killed, and buried in a rich man's tomb. His life would be made an offering for our sin. He would establish a kingdom like no other Israel had ever known. He would fulfill every promise God has made to Abraham, Isaac, and their descendants. God will lay the punishment and guilt for all of our sins on him. His life will be made an offering for us. Because of him, many will be made right with God. Despite all these warnings of the prophets, the people of Israel stopped listening to God. And God did not speak to humans again for 400 years. What, um, to you guys, what are the most striking characteristics of the history of the Israelites? What really stands out about them? What do you mean? Yeah. Amy. Yeah, he's kind of, we kind of place God as a 911 call when we really need him. And when things are okay, we're like, oh, we'll be fine. We don't need him in that. Is there anything else that kind of stands out to anybody? Those are great. They definitely nailed what I was thinking. The story doesn't end well. <laughs> but there, there's hope, and their hope isn't in themselves. It's in these promises of God of another who will come yeah. and do what they can. Yeah. I'm kind of struck by just God's work in them. Um, like Josh said, the story doesn't end well, but here's a bunch of slaves, no military background, and yet by the grace of God, they're able to go in and, and take an entire country, dispossess all these warring cultures. Uh, it's amazing just to see what God does. I mean, as far as talking through you know, the key characteristics of the history of the Israelites, I'm amazed to see how much God actually does through them. Um, also, having read some of the stories about these judges, these generals, you sit there and go, wow, these guys should not be able to win these battles. And yet, to see how powerful, how gracious God really is on their behalf, that's big history stuff to me. So let's ask this question then to follow that because we, we, we hopefully are picking up on this pattern. But what is the pattern that the Israelites got into? And Matt already kind of cued us in, and I know that Matt is not alone. I know each of us would say, yeah, I, I know that same pattern. So what was the pattern that the Israelites got into? Peter. Okay. 
So, so when things were going well, where did they put their confidence and their trust? And, and what does that mean to put their confidence in themselves? How did that happen or how did that show up? Did they, did they all grab swords and spears and be like, yes, we're going to win? You know, is it that kind of confidence in themselves? Or what did that confidence in themselves look like? Jeff. Great answer. Yeah. Okay, if you couldn't hear, Jeff, great answer. The, the idea is that what would happen is they would look at the nations around them. They would see what they have. They would want what they had. And they would especially be attracted to the gods, to the, to the, to the spiritual forces behind these other nations and, and kind of fall, fall into that. So there was a, a comfort and there was this other part that said, wow, we want what you've got that that became a real big part. Huh, I seem to remember something about the Ten Commandments that said something about that. But, so, so that was part of it, right? They would, when, when things were going well... So the, the Ten Commandments called them to love God and love others where it seemed like the, the, the nations around them, their gods called them to love themselves, if I can kind of summarize it that way. So there's that, that first part of the pattern. What did that turn into as they pursued that then? What, what became true? Who did they alienate themselves from? So they began to alienate themselves from God. What was God's response Yeah, discipline and faithfulness. Do you want to share a little bit more about that? Can you draw that out a little bit for us? Because I think that's a great... So he's not just vindictive, he's actually got a process, and that process included them being overrun by these other nations because he wants them to come back to him, like Tim said. Great, great answer. Ann?
So sometimes one of the worst things God can give to us is what we want. Because then he gives it to us and it's the worst thing that could happen happen to us. There's a lot of great stuff to this. Let me, let me go on to this question, though. Easy to think back. Look at them. Hindsight, right? In what ways, then, can we relate to this pattern that the Israelites live in? And we won't, we'll make this into a, a time of public confession, so that's not our, our goal. But how, how can we relate to the pattern that we, that we see? Can we relate? Yes. Okay. How, how, what does that look like maybe in modern life? Is this just an ancient problem? What does that look like in modern life? Just given one, I see two or th- I see two hands. I know I can go to, but if somebody wants wants to jump in the fray, I'm going to let them jump in for a second here. Anne had her hand up first. Let me get, let me. Uh... Absolutely. <laughs> I just, Josh told me a story this morning, and I don't want to embarrass him, but he was talking about his, his breakfast. How'd that go? Uh, Josh awful. is so great because I know he's willing to be transparent. <clears throat> I'm not going to embarrass him, but this is just like an illustration of exactly what Ann said. Oh, I was just, I, make, I was making breakfast and eating and walking around. I put ketchup on my eggs because, I don't know, different, I guess. And when I went to go down, I, f- I was standing up, flipped it, right all my clothes I was wearing for today. So already exhausted and tired. I had to try and scrounge up more clothes to wear for the day. So it was just one of those fun things. But our response is what? Oh, great. Figures. Yeah, it this figures. would happen. This would happen. On the Sunday, I'm, I'm up in front of everybody. This is what's going to happen. And how does that tie with that great listeners? Because we're not necessarily going, wow, God, thank you for food. Ah, thank you that I have a shirt. <laughs> but, but, you know, our tendency is to sit there and go, oh, yeah, of course this happens, right? Isn't that kind of what we do? Car breaks down. Of course, you know. Lisa. Hmm. Yeah, and those blessings sometimes feel like blessings. And those blessings sometimes feel like curses. But they're not. So this leads to another important question. And you guys are going to go, okay, now you're meddling. But that's a good question, right? How quick are you to question or submit to authority in your life? 
Are, are you quicker to assume your own authority? Why or why not? So I'll repeat the question. How quick are you to question and to submit to authority in your own life? Are you quicker to assume your own authority? Why or why not? Can you see how that ties to the direction that, that we're going? Let me get John in the back. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Okay. You know, that's a great question, and I'd love to get to talk to you more about that. But, but how do we handle things where we sit there and go, boy, the Bible calls on this. How do I understand it well? But also, how do I submit to it? And, and, and you know, what are those kind of warning signs for us? So these are, that's a great question. Definitely love to talk to you more about, about that role uh, specifically. But I, I, to try and get through this side of it, I want to hit that bill. Because these other idols, like Jeff was talking about, these other gods from the countries, they place plenty of restrictions or plenty of calls on, on people's lives. And like you're saying, but we need to actually go back to the Bible and find out what is a, a biblical part to this uh, submission. Matt. Gotcha. Gotcha. Almost like he, he set up the rules a long time ago and they may not necessarily understand your context or your or your setting. Okay, thanks for being honest, because I, I think plenty of people probably can can relate to that, right? Any any others that we want to just kind of draw in? I I see a couple of hands I'm just trying to see if there's a chance to draw anybody else into that. I don't want to exclude anybody, but So it's a pretty important question, isn't it? How do you do with authority? Why? Can I can I trust authority too? It kind of depends what authority you're talking about. Because if it's authority all over, like I can't right. trust all authority. Right. Okay. Otherwise, I can't make any decision on my own. So the question is, is there an authority that I can really trust? Okay. Okay. Now, are there some of you who have a natural bent towards submitting to authority? I think there's some people out there who sit there and go, you know, I can't park in this space because it says contractors only. <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute, you know, it's just a, it's just a, I, I don't know if that really, that really matters. Let me get to Scott uh, real quick. Elder brother, like, like, well, 
Okay. So there's a way to submit to authority that acts quickly, but still in the heart actually doesn't actually submit to authority. <laughs> it doesn't believe still, like Matt said, that 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 authority really is looking out for my good. It's just I know my, my life will go better for me. It'll be less troublesome for me if I actually just do what I'm supposed to do, follow the rules. I won't get a ticket uh, and I don't like tickets. That's why I'm going to do it rather than because I really love other people and love God. So, yeah, so there's there's two different ways to come at this. Great, great stuff. Ah, I wish we had more time. Um, all right, I'm going to hand it over to Josh. So now we get to look back at the Israelites now. Um, overall, how has it worked throughout the story and all the stories uh, when humans have not obeyed God's commands and have lived for themselves? How has that worked out for them? It's pretty smooth, right? <laughs> not so well. What examples can we think of? Yeah, yeah. Uh, when they wanted to become a king, and how did those kings do? Yeah, but they certainly were expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But. Yeah, that's a great answer. So these kings, you know, there was they did do some. There's some that uh, reigned well, but others that brought them right back into slavery and made them their own slaves and made and forced them to fight, forced them to work. Um, oh, okay. Uh, from all the stories so far, what have we learned about God? Uh, what about His character that we've learned about Him? So we're kind of just summarizing all the different stories that we've gone through. If you put the last two questions together, it looks like God is, wants a very thin layer of authority between people and himself. Uh, there's the layer of adding the kings in, and, and all that is, is just another muddle. Hmm. So if you, add, if you go to the question of, of authority, the authority is...
So it's almost like God got the nanny out of the relationship. <laughs> you know, as a, as a father with his children, he, he says, well, we don't need an extra person in between. I want to be close. I want a thin layer of, of, of right. I want, I want that to be in here. Uh, I don't want to have to put all sorts of networks or structures between you and me. So God not changing, what does that say about his character? What does that say about him? Not changing is definitely right on with that. Matt. Yep. You think God let them do that thinking, oh man, I really hope they learn their lesson and then come back to me? What do you think? Uh, what about him? Uh, no, what do you think God's confidence was in that? What did, where do you think, how do you think he was dealing with that? Was he nervous and paranoid about it and stressed about it? Yeah, there's not this stressed out, but there there's an emotional side to it where he he is heartbroken. He doesn't want them to go over there, not just because it's bad for them, because he, he loves them. And that does, it, that, he is emotionally, he's, he's hurt by that. He doesn't want that to happen. Tim. So we can kind of summarize a couple key things that we've seen from what I'm hearing you guys say. One thing we're seeing is that God's holy. He won't allow evil to remain in his presence. And we can go think back through the stories and, you know, we can think through God always does what's good and right and perfect. And, and we see the way that he interacted with Satan, with Adam and Eve, with Cain, uh, with the flood. So we can see that God is holy, that there is there's a necessity for us to understand that he is holy. 
We also understand, though, I've heard you guys say that God has power and he has all power. He, what he intends to do, he does. He has the strength to do everything that he intends to do. And you can see that by creation. Uh, we, can, we can see that by the flood. We can see him controlling the nations. Uh, another thing I heard was that God knows all these things. Kind of like Josh said, was, was, would God going into this, was he nervous? Was he thinking, boy, I hope this works like some of us do as parents? And instead, we understand that God knows all things. He knows uh, Lucifer's heart. He knows that Adam and Eve has sinned. He knows what Cain was about to do evil. He, he knows the thoughts and the intentions of every person on the earth. So we're, we're getting to see that as well. We see that God's the source of all grace, right? That all good things flow from him. Uh, he didn't destroy Satan. He didn't destroy Lucifer. He didn't kill Adam and Eve instantly. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God calls Abraham uh, to a new land, to be a new nation, uh, to give him a child. He, he gave Sarah a son in her old age. So we see just this grace, God giving these judges, God giving these kings to them, to set them free, this great compassion. God also tells them what it looks like to live in righteousness. And like Matt said last week, that right useness of their life. This is what the human life was made for. This is what free, abundant life looks for, uh, looks like in the Ten Commandments. And then we also see that God always keeps his promises. I mean, that, that's just one thing we're seeing. We're emphasized. Boy, he always keeps his promises. He told Adam and Eve that if they ate from the fruit of the tree, what would happen? They'd begin to die. He uh, promised to bring a flood, and he did. He promised to give Abraham and Sarah a son. It took 25 years, but they had a son when, when it was physically impossible in every way. Promised Abraham that he'd have a great nation. And remember we today, read today, two million people now in the, in the nation of Israel in the story so far. Promised to save um, the firstborn. Remember in the Passover story? He promised he would save the firstborn if the blood of a lamb was applied to the doorframe. He promised to give the descendants of Abraham the land of Canaan, and he did. Um, he's also promised, what was that very last part that Josh read about, though, in the story? The prophets. What were the prophets talking about? A Messiah who was going to come, right? He made a promise about that. Do you think he's going to come? He promised it very much in the beginning, right? And you can catch a hint of it there. So, so that's another thing that we need to see. So much good stuff. Here's what we want to do. We got to we got to get it done. Um, first of all, I just want to say, uh, Josh and I were talking about it. If you look at Psalm 81, you may want to take some time together to read that as a family today, or read it as part of your own personal time, and uh, just kind of read that. It so applies to this section. So Psalm 81. And then on your way out, we're going to ask the ushers to hand out a copy of this walking it out sheet so that you have some other questions, some other review. I know some of you are, have some great questions or some great ideas you wish we could add in. Grab that walking it out thing um, paper as you go out. Bill's going to have those, and we'll even hand them out to you as, as people go. We'll, we'll pass you one, one per family, so that you can have one of those. Thanks, you guys. We really appreciate it. A ton of information today. Really appreciate your feedback and your response in all of this.